Blood Brothers Podcast, a Five Pillars production. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh, dear brothers, sisters, friends, and the foes out there, and welcome to another episode of the Blood Brothers Podcast with your host, Dili Hussein, and my co host, Aki Hussein. Assalamu alaikum, everyone. Today we have a legend in the house, his second visit and appearance on this podcast. In all honesty, he requires no real introduction, but we'll give him a brief one anyway. He is a legend, a veteran, a Cosa Nostra don in the scene of the UFC MMA scene. He's the founder and the head coach of TriStar Gym in Montreal, and that's none other than Ustad Faraz Zahabi. Assalamu alaikum. Alaikum salam. It's good to have you on the podcast again. Thank you for having me. I love being here. Fantastic. Yeah. How's your brief trip to the UK been so far? Uh, I love it. I love the UK. I love coming here. Uh, I love it when the UFC has their shows here. The people are great. The town is great. A lot of history here. And uh, I feel happy to come and see you guys every so often. Massive show this weekend. Yes. Huge. Some some some, some big fights, some big names. Yes, yes. Um, there's a lot to talk about. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we are definitely going to talk about some fights. And uh, and some UFC related current affairs that I'd love to get your views and thoughts on. Sure, but um, I think Diddy's got quite a lot that we want to sink our teeth in as well. So let's just get some of the UFC related current affairs um, out of the way. There's been a lot of conversation about some of the things we're going to ask you about for us. We just want to get your thoughts on it first and foremost. I think the whole Joe Rogan Spotify anti-vax cancellation debate. You know, we've had some fighters who've come out Adesanya who you know showed solidarity with mm-hmm. um, with Joe Rogan. Obviously, you've you've featured, I believe, twice on his podcast. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, fantastic episodes, I must add. Um, what's your reason? What do, what, do, what do you think the real hoo ha is about? Then, well, do, you, do you think it's related to his anti-vax positions or, or like his position towards those issues? Or? I don't know if I would call him anti-vax. Even I'm not I'm not 100 percent clear on his views, but I understand he's he's skeptical and critical. Like I tell, I always tell people, I believe in science, but I also believe in the science of making money. You know, there's a lot of people making money on this science. There's a lot of uh, financial incentives. So we have to be careful. They want to put something into our system. It's not irreversible. You know, people tell me, well, the law stipulates you have to put on a seatbelt. Yeah, but I can take off my seatbelt. And I understand there's a, there's a zone where we have to agree upon how much risk we want to live with. And it's up for debate. We want to discuss it. Like, for instance, people who want me to put a mask on, I'm not anti-mask. I'm just giving you guys a, an example of what, what I'm trying to, uh, what idea I'm trying to share here. Mm. You want me to wear a mask. Okay, you want to make it law for me to wear a mask. But why don't you put on a hazmat suit? Why not go even higher? Why not go to the right of your position? Let's go even further. Let's wear a hazmat mask. Let's call it a hazmat mask. Now your chances of catching, zero, uh, catching COVID is 0%. But you're going to tell me, look, I don't want to wear a hazmat mask because it's so inconvenient. Okay. The rationale is the same. I understand that the medical mask will reduce my risk of catching COVID, but it's inconvenient. I'm not willing to take that inconvenience. Me and you are in the same boat. It's just a question of degree now we have to discuss. Because you're not willing to put on a hazmat suit, walk around your daily life with a hazmat suit. Mm-hmm. It's inconvenient. I'd have to get up early. I'd have to purchase one. I'd have to maintain it. I'd have to... You know, have the discomfort of wearing it. Those are all the same arguments I'll use when you ask me to put on a mask. And I'm okay with masks. I believe masks work. There's a, a scientist in, in, in Toronto who did an experiment. He proved that masks make a difference. I agree with masks make a difference. However, we have to ask the question, why aren't we wearing the hazmat suit? Because that would cure our, our pandemic. 
It would alleviate the pandemic right effective. away. It would be it would it would be a hundred percent effective if everybody tomorrow started wearing hazmat suit. Maybe there are some negatives because we're there's maybe security issues. There, there could be many negatives. Yeah. Oh, but one thing I can tell you is we're getting rid of COVID. Okay. COVID is not going to be transmitted anymore. So we're we're asking now the question is why don't we do it? That's mm. the question I want. I'm not saying we should do it. I'm I'm not for hazmat guys. I don't wear a mask. If you if they tell me hey you don't have to wear a mask I take my mask off right away. I rather have COVID. I rather have COVID. Get over it. My chance. I look. I looked it up. You know, statistically, I have more chance of getting hit by lightning in my personal situation. I'm not saying that's for everybody. I have more chance of getting hit by lightning than dying from COVID. I'm not scared of COVID. I'm vaccinated. I, I'm not anti-vax. I'm not anti-mask. I'm not anti-mandate. What I am against is quarantine theater. Mm. I'll give you, for instance, where I'm from, Quebec. They have very strict rules, but the rules are designed to. Put me out of business. Small to medium-sized businesses are disrupted, while big businesses not. So I ask myself: Is everybody around me insane, or they can't? Uh, everybody can see that. I, I'll give you an example. Of what's happening in Quebec? The mall is open. But you go into the mall; it's jam-packed with people. Yeah, but TriStar was closed. TriStar's closed. All, all small, medium-sized, all small to medium-sized businesses are closed. Mm. Big businesses open. Now the mall. You go into the mall. You want to go to the Apple Store. You have to wait in line forty-five minutes, in a mosh pit, like it's not a line where you're separated. No, and it's an S-shaped line. So basically, you're you're gonna cross paths with every single person in line. Then after forty-five minutes of waiting in line, it's more than forty-five minutes. When it's busy, it's probably over an hour. Then they put you in the Apple Store, and they separate you for safety. But you're separating me after incubating me for an hour and a half in line. Then you want to like it's in it's this is not it's logical. This is not quarantine. This is quarantine theater. You're appealing to. You're saying we're quarantined because you're creating a space between us when we're. You're limiting the amount of people in the Apple Store, but you're not limiting the amount of people in the mall itself. There were literally lineups outside the mall for people to wanting to get in. There is no separation. There's no quarantine. It's quarantine theater. And I ask myself, why are they doing this? Well, I think people are getting rich. If we were really quarantined. And I'm not anti-quarantine. I'm anti-quarantine theater. If we were really quarantined, there's no way we would allow this kind of thing. So I think Rogan is asking questions, and it's okay to ask questions. Science is about asking questions. Science is about asking for proof. In Quebec, because I don't want to be general here, in Quebec they refused us to have public debate on this matter on any quarantine measures. That's not scientific. Why can't our experts and 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 the the official reason why, Legault François Legault said is he says, I don't want Quebecers thinking there are microchips in the vaccines, meaning that we're so dumb that if we have debate, Canadians are so dumb, Quebecois are so dumb, which is not the case. Obviously, we're high IQ population. Mm. He thinks he's treating us like we're dumb. Hey, you guys are all gonna fall into conspiracy theories if I bring you if I bring you the logic and I put it on stage. If I bring you scientific evidence, if I bring you the experts to discuss it publicly, you guys are so uneducated, you're so dumb, you're so misguided that you're gonna think that there's microchip. That's the inevitable conclusion you're gonna fall to. That's I find it extremely insulting. Yeah, I find that. it extremely insulting. We should debate them publicly. We should ask why. That's science. You want to, you know what science? Science. Everything is up for test. Everything is up for questioning. Not here. Do as I say. Don't ask any questions. I have to now. I have to go into civil disobedience. 
Do you believe a state or a government has the right uh, to put its foot down and shut down debate for the greater benefit of what it believes to be the preservation of life? If you're going to do that, don't call it democracy. They tell me, oh, here, it's, it's, everything is democratic. Okay. But then when it comes to practice it, no, now they want to do like maybe other uh, governments do. Mm. Why? You said here, we're going to practice the principles of, of, of democracy. Now, you're supposed to bring out experts. You're supposed to allow us to cross-examine cross them. You're supposed to convince us, nev not, not coerce us. They didn't live by their so-called way of life. They didn't, they, didn't, they didn't live up to it. But, but, the, but I guess what I'm positing to you for us is, let's put aside whether it's a theocracy or autocracy or a democracy. Yeah. The, the principle of a state basically trumping what they believe is stopping public debate on a matter which they feel will harm the wider public. Fine, the wording of your guy in Quebec was a bit mad, mm. but let's just say it was worded better, framed better, and just say, look, we as a government believe that if we were to allow this debate to happen, we think it will endanger life more. So we're putting our foot down, everyone gets vaxxed up, everyone puts their uh, mask on, and let's say they had a bit more of a more consistent uh, policy of not quarantine theatre, but that would never happen in a capitalist society. If it was true. real quarantine, I would be for it. If it was a true quarantine. But it's the greatest wealth transfer in history, some say. Mm. Some say it's the greatest wealth transfer. In the last two years, uh, Pfizer and Moderna reported making $65,000 a second. They showed one. They featured one uh, mass company that was making $2 million a day. The incentives for keeping the quarantines, the quarantine theater going, is massive. Fauci is the f most highest paid gov uh, government uh, employee in the U.S., yep. Uh, in my opinion, he's going to be one of the richest men in the world uh, in the future. Uh, he's going to be ranked as one of the richest men in the world. They have so much financial incentive. They're human like everybody else. Okay, so here's what I'm saying. I'm not saying that it's not the lesser of two evils. I believe, okay, if there's two evils, one of them, you let the population die off, and one, you force them for a little bit, you twist their arm a little bit, but you save so many lives. Okay, it's the lesser of two evils. I understand that. But do it transparently. Show me how, you know, Trudeau was asking the House of uh, uh, Commons, he's asked, how much did your estate go, how much did your, 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 your value go up during COVID? He didn't answer. Because he knows the answer would enrage people. <laughs> they got rich. Guys, make no mistake about it. The rich got richer. Does that rich surprise got, us? Does that they, surprise you though for no, us? No, when they asked, the, when they, in the House of Commons, they asked the Minister of Finance, 10 employees from the Minister of Finance, where are you getting this money? They, they, the, we don't know where it is. They either borrowed or printed or did a mix of the two. Half a trillion. Canada uh, printed half a trillion. Borrowed or printed half a trillion. Where did the money come from? They don't want to tell us. Members of the F Minister of Finance wouldn't answer the question. They gave them a runaround. Oh, we don't know. We don't have that information with us. What do you mean you don't have that information with us? Mm. <laughs> Get that information. We'll wait. Uh, Pierre Poilievre told them. We'll wait. The Conservative Party was saying, look, we'll wait. Tell us where this money is coming from. The wealth transfer is massive. People don't understand inflation. People, unfortunately, don't understand inflation. I, I interviewed Michael Saylor, one of the richest men in the world. He's the second or third uh, richest Bitcoiner in the world. He holds the okay. most amount of Bitcoin, which is another great topic, I think. He was telling me, look, he's trying to explain to me in the audience what inflation is. And it's so egregious. It's so bad for the future of our our children, that it's a type of economical slavery. 
dumb it down and deliver it for our viewers? Look, instead of putting chains around your neck and feet, they put chains around you economically. They crippled you economically. Tomorrow when you're going to want to buy things, people who hold assets got richer. If you already hold properties and businesses and you, big business, if you already made it, if you're already rich, inflation is good. That building that you own is now worth more. Mm -hmm. But a young kid who finishes university, gets married, he cannot afford a house in the future. Why? The houses are too expensive. I own those houses. Now you're going to be a renter. You're going to rent from me. I'm forever going to own. You're forever going to rent. This is what's happening. So in a nutshell, this is one of the great ailments. That's why, that's why I'm saying, look, I believe COVID exists. I'm not a COVID denier. But there are hard questions to ask. If you look at the death rate, mm -hmm. the death rate in Canada, the death rate in the U.S., the death rate around the world has not changed. 2020 was, does not have the highest death rate. You had more deaths in 2008, 2009, 2010, 2011, 2012, 2013, 2015. You had higher deaths than you had in 2020, 2021, 2022. Where are the bodies? The, the, the death rate is the same. You look it up, the worldwide death rate is the same. Mm. Now, I asked this publicly. I asked a doctor, actually, a disease expert, to come on my channel, do a podcast with me, explain the death rate. He refuses. Like, look, I'm going to get in trouble. I think it's too touchy of the subject. At first, he accepted coming onto my channel. Then he said, look, you know, these are the questions you can ask me. I said, yeah, they're hard questions. I don't know the answer to them. I'm, I'm saying openly, I don't know. Somebody explain it to me. We had a, uh, we had a Canadian virologist uh, during the first lockdown in 2020, and I posited a similar question to him. He said, look, whilst I appreciate the number of, the total number of deaths were high in previous years to 2020 because the question has to be asked and this is what he said as a virologist he said you have to ask that the death toll for 2020 how much of it was covid related a new disease because i guess that's the that's what we're saying we're not saying that there weren't more deaths in previous years we're saying that the death toll as a new phenomena this year is this particular virus which we yet do not have a vaccine but for. we measure the increase of deaths throughout the years and the increase is the same it was 0 0.05 if i remember correctly yes it was basically around about that so the death rate did not go up by any different like if, if you if you looked at the statistics and you told me i asked you what year was the pandemic just knowing just looking at the statistics you would not choose 2020 yeah hmm. there was no it's jump valid. in deaths yeah yeah you I so look I, I also I'd, I'd be careful because i i got I've been reprimanded for talking about this openly. I did a video called a Message to Fellow Canadians. Who reprimanded you? Uh, YouTube. Oh, I was yeah. literally denied entrance back into my country when I was in Connecticut. I flew out during the War Measures Act. Canada en enabled the War Measures Act. Yep. Basically so basically martial law. State of emergency? State of emergency. Yeah. So I was outside the country. I want to go back to the I want to go back to Canada. I was in Connecticut. I get to the airport. And they wouldn't let me check in online. So I go to the front, the desk, and they're like, we cannot check you in. I'm like, why? They said, you're being refused entry from the Canadian uh, government. Wow. So that's interesting. I'm in exile now, basically. They exiled me. I didn't even know exile is a thing anymore. I thought that's something in ancient history. Yeah. Okay, so I'm exiled now. I'm a, I'm a citizen of the world, I guess. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> uh, my passport says Canadian on it, so I don't know how that works. Now, how, how is that possible? So they tell me we have to call the Canadian border and, and uh, sort this out. I say, call them. They call them. They get on the phone. They, they have a back and forth. I don't know what's being said. Then they lift the ban on me entering the back of the country. I missed just, my flight. They just to speak to you. No, I missed. Not even ask me one question. The guy's Canadian. How could you not let him back in the country? Maybe when I land, you put me in jail. 
but how could you refuse me access? Like, I have to leave the I cannot stay in the US. Okay, well, I don't know how that's going to work. I felt a disclaimer was coming. Did you want to put a disclaimer out there or something? What do you mean? I don't know. You were going to say something. You was- no, I'm just saying, like, I find it absurd that the government refused me access back to my own country. Okay, I'm born in this country. Anyways, they allow me, but they just made me miss my flight. Yeah. That's really it. When I landed, I was there was no police there. I haven't. I've never committed a crime in my life. Well, let me tell you something, Frost. Welcome to the UK, where people's <laughs> citizenships are revoked for fun. Uh, from aid really? workers, yeah, yeah. From, from aid workers to charity workers, from people who have not committed a single crime, wow. they've had their citizenship revoked in absentia. Yeah, really. Um, vast majority happen to be Muslims. Uh, obviously, we had the Windrush scandal as well. Uh, black Jamaicans and West Indian people have been lived really? here for years. Consolidated in policy now. Really? Yeah. I didn't know this. Yeah. This is uh, this is the UK which you have landed on in 2022, my brother. Wow. So, so, so citizen revoca- citizenship revocation is not something that we're faced by. Wow. Yeah, yeah sadly. Um, you had some dramas you had, uh, with the gym locally. Remember? With the authority. Tell us a bit about what was all that about. Listen, I, 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 I am, I'm careful now when I talk because I've been reprimanded so many times and I've been fined, and, but long story short, I was well within the law. I spoke to my lawyer. He said, look, you're allowed, basically at that time, the, the laws were changing often. You were allowed one instructor per two students. I have a very large gym. So we had, the, 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 the rules were very gray. They, tell you, they don't tell you how many times you could repeat that process. They just tell you if, if three people are training and one of them is an instructor, it's okay. Okay. So I have a very large gym. So I had many instructors teaching two students well within two meters because the distance they told us to stay is two meters. I have the space to do it. Mm-hmm. So the police show up. I open the doors every single time. I never get a ticket. I'm well within the law. Even the officers showing up didn't know the law. I was telling them, no, this is the law. Please verify. They would come back to tell me you're right. You're well within the law. Okay, perfect. Then they would show up more and more, often and more and more often. Uh, one reason somebody was calling, I don't want to bring them up again because it was a huge okay. fiasco. But they came twi- three times in one day at one point, which was irritating me because the thing is, you see the police at my gym all the time. Now, if you see a, a business with the police there all the time, it's going to deter people from coming. You're going to start thinking, hey, these guys are doing something illegal. Of course. Uh, yeah. I wouldn't take my kids to a place where it's the police, police are out the front door all the time. I think, hey, what, what's their guns, drugs? What? Listen, there are no guns, no drugs. I'm a family man. I have, I train children. Was that one of the accusations that was being floated? No, 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 no. I've never it's been. It's just bad. a bad look. Isn't no, it? no. It's just somebody kept calling. It okay. came down to parking spaces. Somebody wanted my parking spaces. I don't want to get into it because okay. we've cleared the air okay. Okay. on it. I don't want them getting attacked again. Okay. Because the the, the 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 fans on the internet just went and crushed them. Okay. Okay. So I don't want to do that again. So that's why I want to try to not get but, too much in detail. But, but that thing's settled now. It was yeah. It was settled. It was a question of parking spaces. Somebody was trying to use the police to. Get me out of the building so he can have my parking spaces. Wow. Long story short, that's wow. really what it was. Cain Velasquez, in, in for attempted murder charge, the story yeah. is that he went after someone who uh, allegedly molested a uh, four-year-old relative of his. Most parents, most caring family members would hear that story, and if there was truth to that, we would say we're on the side of Cain Velasquez. Is there any other position we can take? Allah Akbar, I'm tell you something. Uh, if that was me, I would be in the same position as Cain. 100%. But he, here's the thing. I still don't condone that because you could be wrong. Mm. Of course, legally speaking, we cannot condone that. I would never condone that. I would have lost my mind like he did. I don't have better self-control than Cain Velasquez. 
And I don't know what proofs he had. So I'm not telling people to take the law in your own hands because you could be wrong. It could be misunderstanding, the wrong person. It never happened. I don't know. Like, I don't know the details. Okay, I don't know the details. But if Cain Velasquez was sure about the information, if I was sure about the information, I would have done worse than Cain did. I would have used my hands. I wouldn't have used a gun. Okay, so that's just me. I don't condone violence at all. I'm not, I don't know the details of what Cain did exactly, but for those of you who have children, you understand exactly what I'm saying. Nobody has a right to abuse your children the way, from what I heard. I don't want to even repeat it because I'm not even sure exact details, but from what I understand, it was molestation. Of course. Okay, we're all going to do the same thing. And if you don't, in my opinion, you're a coward. 100%. Cain is 100% correct. If, if his facts are correct, I support him. But again, we can't jump to conclusions. Maybe it's just, I don't know what Kane's information was, but I, I, I've never met Kane, mm. but I could tell you that 99% of martial artists are really, really good people. They've been, they're so disciplined. They've, they've been through so much that, uh, man, you touch one of their children, believe me, that's what you're going to get. Yeah, you're going to be in big trouble, I imagine. I knew that was going to be one that we can swiftly move on from. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, because, you know, again, like Fidel said, if, if the truth is that, there isn't really many options of what you're going to do except for what you should be doing. Subhanallah. You guys know? You guys, you know, you guys know. Of course, of course we know. Subhanallah. Wallah, if it was me, it would be worse. 100%. It would be worse than what he did. Mm. On, on the subject of, you know, uh, UFC fighters or MMA fighters, you know, having to respond to things in public. Kevin Holland recently was involved in an incident this week um, where he apprehended alongside other members of the public in a restaurant, sushi restaurant in Houston. Um, a man came in with a gun. He was saying he, he, he was there in a restaurant, he was there with family, and there was, there was a table behind him enjoying themselves having sushi, and he heard a loud bang. He thought maybe it was a bottle of champagne or something, it's a birthday party going on, but he soon realised that people were ducking, hiding under tables, and, and it became quite a serious situation. There was a man with a gun who had fired. Wow. Yeah. I didn't did know you, this. Did you hear yeah. about this? No, I just saw a headline, but I didn't, okay. I didn't yeah. look into it. Um, Kevin Holland, people, yeah, UFC welterweight. Um, and, you know, he got involved, of course. Um, he, he realized the situation yeah, alongside another person, apprehended this man, got him in a rare naked choke uh, till he was unconscious. And then police arrived. And with the support of the police, they were able to arrest the man. And then everyone could return to normality. And I guess what I wanted to get your views on, Firas, on this was as, as a coach and as a person who's been involved in mixed martial arts and martial arts and, and, and coaching people of so many different uh, you know, level of expertise and, 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 and standards and level of fighting over the years. Is this something that MMA fighters and, and martial artists find themselves, situation they find themselves in sometimes in the public where they feel maybe That's a pressure to be heroic or respond to a situation endangering themselves even i think so i i think that that's a very extreme situation i mean a guy with a gun you know i've you know i've heard of mma guys arresting people taking taking care of business you you pinned a guy down once <laughs> I, i've done it also yeah uh, <laughs> tell us the story again <laughs> there was uh i went to a pool with my t i took my family to a pool an indoor pool and when i walked in they were like Use the family facility, meaning your your family can go in one room and there's cubicles in the room yeah. and you can get changed there. I was like, oh, I was hesitant. You know, I wanted to go to the men's and send my daughter and wife. And the guy's like, no, no, go in there. There's nobody there. It's all yours. I said, okay. I go in there. Now, normally I would never leave my wife and daughter alone, but literally it was very quiet. There was nobody there. 
all my cousins are already in the pool. So me and the boys were like hurrying up. We're like, see you girls there. My, you know, my wife and daughter, they're, they're slow. They're taking their time. There was a guy hiding in there. We wow. didn't know. SubhanAllah. Honestly, wow. we didn't know. He was hiding in there. Now, looking back. By choice. By choice. Not that he was already there and oh. you've rocked up there and, and he, he can't get out. He's not supposed now. to be there. He doesn't okay. have a family. He's oh just a crazy guy. Lord. Now, I go to the pool. I'm like, why is it taking my wife so long? So I look. I see my wife arguing with the person at the front desk, talking to the person at the front desk. I go see my wife. And I see she doesn't want to talk to me. I'm like, hey, what's going on? She knows me. That's why she didn't want to say. Mm. She's like, look, there's a creepy guy in the bathroom. It's a creepy guy. So I go to go find him. Now the, the whole administration, now they're trying to stop me from finding the guy because they're scared that I'm going to do something. So I go in the back and I find the guy. I say, hey, you got to come to the front desk. The guy tries to ignore me. I said, no, you're not going anywhere. Come to the front desk. Where was he hiding? He went to the sauna room now. Like he, he went into the sauna room. He was hiding in the, in the family room, family changing room that was supposed to be empty. And he was peeking through a door. Just some crazy guy that he's going to learn his lesson. <laughs> he, he, he was trying to, now he saw me. He's like, hey, I got to get out of here. I tell him you're not leaving. So he's trying to put his clothes on and he's in, he's, in, he's in his bathing suit. And I said, look, you're not leaving this building. So he's trying to leave. I said, look, you're not going anywhere. Now the whole time the staff is trying to get me off him. I said, mm -hmm. no, this guy's not going anywhere. I'm going to bring him in front of my wife and my wife is going to tell me what, what I, at this point, I don't know what happened. Mm -hmm. I don't want to jump to a conclusion now and, and beat the hell out of this man without knowing first mm -hmm. what happened. So he's trying to take his stuff and leave. So I grab him physically. I put him down on the floor. I told you you're not leaving. I sat, I sat, I'm sitting on top of him. I tell one of my cousins, go call my wife. She comes in, and my wife is very anti-violence. She's never seen violence in her life. Like, uh, violence for her will turn her stomach. So she sees me sitting on this guy, and she knows that if she tells me what this guy did, I'm, this guy's going to, let's trouble. just say he's not going to see tomorrow. Mm. And I'm sitting on him now. I'm holding him. I, but before I pull the trigger, I want to know exactly what he did. So I call my wife in, and she, my wife's saying, I can't be in here. It's the men's room. So I'm like... Okay, I'm thinking, I have a, come, I tell, go tell, ask her what, she, what he did. She won't answer. See, she knows if, I, if she answers what I'm going to do to him, I'm going to end up in jail. I would have took him off the premise. I wouldn't have waited for the police. So not everybody's calling the police. Everybody wants me off him. People are trying to defend him. Yeah, good Lord. I'm, I had to tell one guy, hey, you're going to be standing, you're going to be on the floor with him. I told him, shut up, keep walking. He was trying to defend him. I go, you don't know this situation. This is a citizen's arrest. You shut your mouth and keep walking. That guy was literally trying to defend the guy on the bottom. Are you crazy? I like I'm telling you, this is a citizen's arrest. Let the police come. He's going to deal with me because this guy wanted to get up and leave. They were basically wanting me to hold him up. Now, you don't know how to, how to hold. He's a big guy. You don't know how to hold a man down. You want to hold the man down? I'm going to hold you down, both of you here. Like, people are trying to defend him. Come on. I'm, I'm not hitting the guy. I'm not injuring the guy. This guy, he did something wrong. Tell us the hold you had on him, please. What's that? Uh, tell us how you... I can't tell you because I might end up in, in front of a judge. Okay. Was there a full mount? Oh, how I was holding him. Yeah, yeah, yeah in full mouth. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I had him full mouth pinned. I had him wrapped in what we call a gift wrap. Wicked. Anyways, let's just say I had, I, I, I was making, I, I can't say. Okay. Close. Anyways, the police come. The guy has a criminal record. He's not allowed to be in this area. He has, a, he's on probation. Mm. He's going to jail. He's got history then. Yeah. Anyways, I don't want to get too much in detail, but. I, you did what you My had to wife do. was scared to tell me what he did because she knows I would probably uh, be in the Cain Velasquez situation. Now, listen, there was no physical contact. It was just him. 
looking, trying to look, trying to look. Not that he saw anything, but that he did something that was, he was the guy was a pervert, let's just say. Okay? And unfortunately, uh, they, they exist in the world. And so, yeah, listen, I just, I almost ended up in the Cain Velasquez situation, let's just say. But not that there was any uh, violation of any member of my family, alhamdulillah, thank God. But just, just the thought, just the fact that he uh, came in that, that attempt uh, my wife was wise enough not to tell me because I would end up in jail. That's for sure. For me, just the idea of it, I would have honestly, I would have dragged them off the premise. The okay. police would have been looking for me and him. Mm. That's how it, that's what it came down to. I hate to say it. I know people are gonna be like, "Hey, that's extreme." That's my uh, my baby girl was there. She's four years old at the time. That's my baby girl. This guy's a predator. No way, man. No way. No way. Would you, you know? would you be okay with let's say MMA fighters or people who are well versed in contact sports to perhaps not take? A heroic role in, in in a situation where it could endanger no, your you family. Should, you should. You know, I, m- I remember Matt Sarah. I was watching Matt Sarah. There was a video of him beating up, not beating up some guy. He was mounted on a drunk guy mm-hmm. in a restaurant. And he's telling the guy, it's okay, it's okay, relax, it's okay. And he was smiling. And so one day we were cutting weight with some fighters, and Matt Sarah was in the sauna with me, cutting weight with another one of his fighters. And I was like, Matt, you know what? You're a lot better than me. Because the drunk guy came in starting trouble. Matt Sarah's sitting there having a meal with his family. And he is being attacked by this guy. And he takes the guy down and he pins him. And he's talking nicely to the guy. It's okay. It's okay. I'm like, Matt, you're really nice. You know, because me, I would have punished the guy. Because the guy from the bottom, he's trying to hit Matt Sarah. And he's threatening Matt Sarah. And I'm going to hurt from the bottom. And I'm like, man... Uh, the, zen, the the inner peace Matt Sarah has is so great. Like, how could you not like? He's like, no, not at all. He goes, my daughters were there. That's why I didn't hit him. I'm like, what do you mean? They were off camera, and he was talking to his daughters the whole time. He was saying it's okay, okay. No, I'm like, it's gonna be fine because his daughters were petrified. Hey, why is my dad wrestling with some guy on the floor? I was like, okay, this makes a lot more sense because let me tell you something. That guy deserved it. That guy deserved a good shot or two. And Matt Sarah is more than capable. He's a former world champion. Okay, one of the best fighters in, ever. Hall of Fame. Exactly. Believe me, he could have put the pain on him. <laughs> but he didn't because he didn't want his daughters to see a guy get pummeled to death in, in front of them. So he was he was appeasing his daughters. He was, he was, he was, <laughs> he was calming down the situation for his daughters. I was like, oh, okay, this makes more sense because That's I'll tell right. you something. You know, if you get out of line, it's not uncommon that fighter, MMA fighter will put you back in line. Now, when I say out of line, I mean like, Walking into a restaurant drunk and trying to pick a fight with people. That's what the guy did. I mean, that's really out of line. This leads to an interesting kind of like um, offshoot on the subject of, you know, having the capability, having the skills, having the strength, power, knowledge, fight IQ. And as a coach, you've dealt with so many different types of fighters. But I want to specifically explore temperament because in this situation, Matt Serra and I'm sure many others, as you have as well personally, have showed a temperament that allowed you to deal with the situation, but for it not to explode into something Mm -hmm. far worse. How do you deal with, as a coach and as a person, as a father, all the hats that you wear, with things like ego, Mm -hmm. arrogance, the belief that you have the power to take over anything and do whatever you want because you have some skills, some knowledge... How do you how do you coach that arrogance especially because arrogance with that comes that arrogance is based on something it's based on knowledge that you have skills that you know you have uh, you, a skill set that you have that maybe others don't um, and I guess this issue of arrogance can transcend not just beyond MMA but just generally 
Because you have to, as a coach, you have to deal with people who have this chip on their shoulder, right? How you deal with that? Uh, I think arrogance is one of the most despised things. You know, it's one of the most. It's very difficult to be to connect with a person who's arrogant. So when you're arrogant, you're kind of isolating yourself. Uh, uh, in terms of you're isolating yourself from God, you're isolating your, yourself from other people. So it's a it's a type of self torture. So martial arts is really good for humility, in one sense, because to get really good at martial arts, you got to get a you got to have a lot of setbacks. Every black belt you've ever seen, he was once upon a time a white belt. He got 101, be- 1,001 beatings. I've seen George St. Pierre get his ass kicked. When we were blue belts, I've kicked his ass. He's kicked my ass. We've <laughs> beat each other up a 1,000 times. Now, today, it's very rare somebody could subdue us, but it still happens. You have to eat humble pie to get to black belt. You eat lots of humble pie. It's not true that uh, Kabim never got beat up. You guys just never seen it because by the time he got to professional, he had so many amateur fights. See, a lot of professionals nowadays, they, they turn professional too early, too fast, too soon because we need more fighters, the, the opportunities there. But fighters like Khabib, they had hundreds of amateur fights. Mayweather, he's undefeated, yes, but he's lost many amateur fights. You just didn't see those beatings he got. Mm-hmm. St. Pierre, you didn't see the beatings he got, but he got many beatings in amateur career. He built his way up. John Jones used to have a 50-50, like his wrestling matches, he would win one, lose one, 50-50. They were not shining stars from the cradle, okay? They were humbled many times. They ate a lot of humble pie. And then for a short, brief period of time, you have this win streak where it looks like you're unbeatable, Mm -hmm. but we know what happened and we know what's going to happen. There's a time and place where you can no longer win. Look at Anderson Silva. Of course. At one point, he's unbeatable. Now he can't win a fight. What happened? You know, this is also mentioned in the Quran. You know, there's a time where you were born. You can't even turn your head. Nobody came to this level stage in life without love or mercy or pity. Pity is a type of love. You couldn't move your own head. Somebody had to feed you. Somebody had to care for you. Clean your backside. Clean your backside. You didn't get to hear. Now look, it says, oh, you're so puffed up with pride. You're so, oh, you think you're so strong. Wait, you're also going to get old and frail and die and get sick. You're going to go back to being weak again. For that brief period of time, when we give you power, you, you're going to be, you're going to show us your true colors. So some uh, martial arts, when they get to black belt, they become arrogant. It's, and it's a sad thing. Because when they finish that prime of their life, uh, they're going to fall. And when they fall, they're going to hit every branch on the way down. And it's going to be painful. So, you know, we have... There you describe the situation of MMA and contact sports. Um, in the da'wah and Islamic activism, the same issue exists. The same kind of macho and bravado. And I say arrogance as well. What would your advice be to brothers who are in this field, uh, who suffer from the same problem, whether it be based on knowledge or experience, the fact that you're more well-versed or more knowledge than, knowledgeable than others in this field, and then it starts showing in your antics and semantics uh, online, offline, with the same, with the same principle of being born weak and dying weak apply? It would, right? I, th- I think so. I mean, I'm, I remember one time when I was a kid, I was flexing in the mirror. And I was telling my mother how great I am. And she told me, she reprimanded me. Why? She was telling me only Allah is great. Once you're telling yourself you're great, you forgot about Allah. You're Allah in a state of forgetfulness. May Allah bless your mother. I mean, Allah. If you're thinking about Allah, you would never think you're great. You would never think you're knowledgeable. So it's a type of, it's a type of forgetfulness mm. of the one thing you should never forget. Uh, the Quran says, you know, remember me and I'll remember you. 
So be careful with that. You know, you should always be careful with that because now you're in a, you're in a mental state where uh, it's self-inflicted mental anguish that's coming your way. MMA tarbiya. Is it common to flex your accolades and what you've done? Uh, no, I would never. I would honestly, I, I would never. Uh, you'll never hear me say anything like that because I, I think everything, every good thing you have is a gift from a god. So you, you're not responsible for anything you've done well. Okay. In my in my opinion, I I think it's all determined. It's a blessing from Allah, and it's a arrogant thing to say that you produced it. Hamza Chumayev, this is someone who's in the mouths of everyone. Mm-hmm. At Terrifying and prospect. minds and minds yeah. and minds of many as well. I imagine a, t- a yeah. terrifying prospect for the welterweight division and possibly even the middleweight <laughs> division. Someone who commonly refers to not being scared of death. I'm ready for death, brother. Yeah, mm-hmm. like you know, Bisping was in a car with him and uh, down till down till, and he said he was driving the opposite way. <laughs> he was driving the opposite way, oncoming traffic, laughing. Like a madman, Darren Till cracking up. He wasn't sure if Darren Till was being genuine or it was a laugh of fear. But Bisping was crapping his pants. And he is, without a shadow of a doubt, one of the most promising prospects. Um, and there is a thing that people say that people are trying to dodge fighting him. What's your thoughts on the man that is Hamza Chimaev? Have you met him? Uh, I've met him, yes, actually. He's quite a towering figure, let me tell you. Yeah. Is he 6'2"? Is he <sighs> He's there. Or there in my about. mind, he's six four. So yeah, I don't yeah, know. He's, I, he's there. Or maybe there I imagined he's six four, but yeah. when I looked at him, I was like, "Mashallah, yeah. Mashallah." Yeah. It's something great about him, and uh, he was very nice to me, very s- gentle, very sweet, and um, I think he's inevitably going to be world champion. Inshallah, Inshallah, Inshallah. Um, you know, I don't condone driving down <laughs> the wrong. <laughs> no, no, way. that was just a description of <laughs> right, right. His, his passion in in whatever he he. No, he's I, I understand. In. I understand, but we have to be careful with that, you know, because a lot of the young kids are listening and they're gonna be like, "Hey, let's take the car." And, 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 no, Definitely, you shouldn't yeah. do this, never. No. And uh, uh, but I think that uh, I think he becomes world champion eventually, and maybe even the greatest of all time. Twenty twenty two. Inshallah, inshallah, yeah. Do you think Dana's holding him back? I think Dana wants to build him more. You know, he has to get known. He has to become yeah. more known. Because the thing is, it's complicated when you're champion. If people don't know who you are, it doesn't matter how great you are. People have to know how great you are. Exactly. So he, he's better than people know. He's he's he, he will become more and more famous. They just want his fame probably to develop. I, I'm assuming that in terms of how a promoter sells tickets. You know, I'm, I'm not talking about he's great enough. He's ready enough. He's ready to fight anybody. However, they don't want to squander his potential for selling. Of course, and and it's part of the business. But Kamaru, they want to showcase the the. F- they have to showcase as much of Hamza they can. They have to build him up. It's part of the business because at the end of the day, uh, they want to build up a super fight, and I understand that because that's what puts that's what pays the bills. Mm. But Kamaru, when he first did Woodley, the, that's that's who he beat, right? To get the title, right? Tell, that's right I, yeah. I wouldn't say Kamaru was that well known or his brand was that well built. But that was a fight that Tyron Woodley had to have. It's a, it's a, it was a fight that Tyrone Lee had to have, sure. But the thing is, you're right. Kumaro was better than people know. Yes. But after that, they knew how good he was. They yes, knew, I like, it, it, the, it was more uh, balanced, the view. Because some, some guys are better than their reputation. 100%. It, it is known. So, Kamzat is there. He's a lot better than people know yet. People don't know Kamzat enough yet. So, I think the UFC wants to familiarize him and then give him a mega fight. Why? It's going to lead to more sales. And that's going to lead to more money for everybody, more bills being paid. So that this part of the business, you know, you have to think they're they're talking, they're thinking like like entrepreneurs, they're promoters. I, it makes total sense to me. Do you see him beating Kamaru? Uh, 
I love Kumaro. You know, I've trained with him. I love the guy. So, and I, I love Kamzat. So, I'd rather not say for me, it's a 50-50 fight. Adesanya? I, Adesanya, yeah, I think he beats Adesanya. Mark my words. If Kamzat fights Adesanya, he beats Adesanya. I have no doubt in this. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Bringing the podcast to a close, um, I want to talk about a topic which, in private, we've spoken about. Uh, and it's, um, it's sombering, it's, it's humbling. Um, death. The last time you were on the Blood Brothers podcast, you said... It's the elephant in the room. We never want to say someone's died. They've passed away. We find some kind of floating. They've fluttering. moved on. They've moved on. They're in a better place. We romance it. Yes. Mm. Um, so let's revisit it. Because we, we've been talking about death quite a lot recently. A lot. Um, Our parents are aging. That's right. And, um, uh, and there's always new triggers. There's always new events that happen in your life that, that redirect you to this very close friend of yours, which is death, who's waiting to meet you. Let me give an example, quick one. About dad Yeah My dad He was a professional rugby player um, Played for many years um, A man of sports And if none of his boys were involved in sports Whether it's cricket, football, whatever it is It's, it's a type of discipline he's had A man of sport and discipline That's it So obviously now recently he's, he's 65, 66 There's certain health um, things coming up now High blood pressure and so forth Obviously we're South Asians We eat a lot of rice and curry <laughs> But the point is We had to have that conversation with our dad He said dad look no matter how much you service an old car, the car at a time will start giving way. No matter how well you look after the car. So obviously we're naturally thinking about the death of our parents. And that's even assuming we don't die before them. And I guess it's something, a conversation that's been happening within our family. And as I mentioned, you said it's the elephant in the room. And we dress it up in so many ways. Why do you think we dress it up in so many ways? That's denial. No, Muslims even. Uh, Why do Muslims even dress it up to a particular way? They're in a better place. R.I.P. See you when we get there. I think it's uh, it's the it's the ultimate fear because you know human beings are very are very special than the the rest of the animal kingdom. We remember the the past and we can think of the future. Animals they live in the present moment. They don't think about the future. You guys are are pondering the future. We project the future. We think of possible different outcomes in the future. And we can also visualize living forever, which is something very special. Mm. On the Quran says, for every hardship, there's a relief. While I have this hardship, I want to live forever. God is telling you there's a relief for that. There is a, there is, you know, you have hunger, there's food. You have thirst, there's water. You have cold, there's warmth. There's a, there's a type of relief for every discomfort you have. One of my, my great discomfort, my great discomfort I have, is that I'm going to be separated from my wife and children one day. I'm going to be separated from... Uh, existence and there's a relief for this as well look there's a relief for every other discomfort you had you experienced it in this world don't you think also this discomfort has a relief and I believe so because it so happens that I was born with hunger and there is food to eat I was born needing shelter and there are shelter every need is fulfilled but you have this need you have this projection in your mind and I think it's a divine projection. Allah put this in our mind because why Why would uh, Thomas uh, Nagel said it beautifully. He said, look, if it is just survival and reproduction, if it is just matter and chemistry, if it is just materialism, why on earth would we be able to imagine living forever? Why would we have beliefs in, of higher truths? If all you are is a, a machine that's trying to survive and reproduce, what does my ideas of truth have to do with anything? 
It's just trial and error. 100%. Why would I have this fascination with knowing the truth? See, in, in my opinion, what I, the Quran says Allah is al-haq. Allah is literally truth. Literally. We can talk about this maybe in future subjects. But Allah is the only thing that is objectively true. Mm. Purely 100% objectively true. And this, I, I want to know the truth. I have this fascination with knowing the truth. I have this calling to know the truth. If I was just survival reproduction, if I was just a byproduct of, of a blind, random process, Nagel asks, how could this come about? It couldn't have come about. You would just do what feels good. But I want to go beyond what feels good. I want to know about this thing called truth. What is it? What happens if you discover it? How does that help you survive and reproduce? It doesn't. It's just this, this desire to know the truth. People say, oh, I want to know the truth. Most of them actually are just pragmatists. They only want to know what benefits them. Truth, they're, based, they're, on, truth based on benefit, yeah? Truth based on benefit. If it works, it puts food in my be belly and puts my enemies in their grave, I, I call that true. That's mm -hmm. pragmatism. That's not truth. It's pragmatism falsely labeled as truth. Truth is, I want to know how reality is. But to know that, you have to go even further. You have to ask the hard questions. You have to dig deeper. But they never dig deeper. They just go to the level of that put food in my belly, belly and enemies in their grave. That's all. I don't go further than this. I won't ask further than this. They only want the appearance of things. That's it. But I have a calling. I'm one of those people who has a calling. I want to know what's reality. Well, why would you want to know what's reality? This, I believe, is a divine calling. Because you want to know about Allah. Again, you have this desire to know about Allah. It's fitri. Mm. Where does the desire come from? It's like every other desire you have, there's a fulfillment to it. There's the other half. So we, we have this desire to reach higher levels of truth. When you have opportunities, or have you ever had opportunities, or have there been times uh, with TriStar fighters, namely GSP, but others, Rory and others, uh, big names, smaller names, less names, when you've had opportunities, have you ever spoken to them about this innate desire to attain yeah. truth? Yeah, I do. I do. When we're, we're together, when sometimes we're flying on a long airplane or a flight or we're sharing a hotel room or not, of course, you know, we, we talk about life like everybody else, you know, absolutely. Okay. For us, having you on today was an absolute pleasure, my dear brother. I hope that your stay and visits to the UK increase many fold. Inshallah. May Allah bless you and preserve you and your family. I mean, um, I mean, and um, we look very look forward to having you next time on. Inshallah. Thank you, brothers. I appreciate it. Pleasure as always. Assalamualaikum. Thank you, boys. Thank you so much, brothers and sisters. Um, I hope you thoroughly enjoyed that podcast as much as we did. We definitely look hope, uh, for, look forward to having Faraz on again. Inshallah. Subscribe to the Five Pillars YouTube channel and of course uh, all the podcast avid listeners you'll find us on all the platforms and until next time Assalamu Alaikum Warahmatullahi Wabarakatuh Blood Brothers Podcast Five Pillars Production